Welcome back, Rampants, to the SAS Ramp Podcast. I'm your host, Podcast Pete. A welcoming Brian Elsesser to the show today. Brian's VP Sales at Saster. Happy to have Brian on. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Podcast Pete. Pleasure to be here. I should probably tell you I'm Podcast Pete before we actually jump on and I'm Podcast Pete. I just got it just now, but I'm ready to rock. It sounds good. Yeah, love it. I got a very interesting person on today. Maybe we'll do the hobbies and background pieces at some point, but let's, we'll dive straight in and offer some value for our sales leaders straight up front. Thing year we've been in, we're kind of rounding up, coming up on FY23. I saw a couple posts you put on LinkedIn recently about like macroeconomic environment, et cetera. But all that taken into account, what is maybe the biggest challenge you've seen in recent times, maybe past six months, Max? Look, I mean, I think there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I still don't know that I would call, I don't like using the R word. So well, I don't try to use the word recession ever because I th think it's just a bad omen. Uh, but that said, I do think that it's very evident that people are buying differently right now. You know, they've been buying differently. So let's just take a step back and identify the fact that when people are purchasing software or purchasing anything right now, they're taking extra minutes and extra like moments to understand what it is that they want to buy first before they even engage. So doing a lot more research, right? We know, but additionally now and in that macroeconomic environment, and you're not seeing people make spend without having a lot of thought behind it. And I do think that, that means that there is more onus on the brands right now to make sure that your best foot's put forward before they even engage with your team. There was a, maybe three years ago, I used to train my team that when you someone on the hook talking about your product, whatever you do not disclose too much before you can get them on a call. I used to like, like talk it all day about, get them on a call, get them on a call. You want to get them on a call. You know, I still think you want to get people on calls because when you get them on a call, you can overcome any objection. You can talk them through any problem that they may foresee. But I also think right now you're seeing a lot of movement right on different software that's out there to try to get the product out at the top of the funnel. And I see that helping educate buyers more, which is actually making the sale somewhat easier, but more educational, more value driven. When someone joins a call, as opposed to saying, what do you guys do? They're saying, I have this specific problem I'm hoping you can help me with. That's a very different buying cycle and it requires different pieces. So, you know, you, you have a lot of brands out there, Reprise and, and Novatic and there, there are these brands out there that are creating for software companies the ability to get your demo live out and in the open first and foremost, right? And that's like, and there's, those are just two brands of many that are doing this, but it's just an example, right, of the type of software that's necessary really for brands to help stand out and maybe get a little bit more education out in front of their buying cycle. Okay. So like, if I'm hearing you correctly, because of what's happening of late, you're kind of seeing this rotation over to more customer education on the top end, like trying to offer more value up front, even if it's not even on a live call, just like whatever you have to do digitally or via well, email. Education's never dissipated, right? It's always been at the forefront. I remember I got started in sales back at TNT, like, I don't know, eons ago. And I remember the first, the first class in sales they taught us is like, you need to educate your customer, but 67% the deal is already done before they talk to you. And then that went to the next training. It was like 81% of the deal. And then the next one was 84% of the, and the, like the number always seemed to go up, right? Like it never, 
It like, and so today I just assume that the deal's done before they talk to me. I need it. My job's not to get in the way, right? That's it. I just can't get in the way of the deal. I, I'm here to educate, help overcome any sort of fear or like potential objection internally, maybe understand how budgets are allocated and maybe see if there's some things that we can tie in they could benefit from that they're not even thinking about. Right? Like, that's the piece. It's how do you take that one need that they're trying to fill, but then add other really sticky things to it to make it so that they just never can lose you. And the best software today is doing things that will make it so their customers just, they can always use it. They, they'll never lose it. Yeah. Okay. Hey, and just not to like overly stay on question number one, but any like tactical points, like if anybody's trying to make a pivot to more customer education or like, you know, the rallying cry was sales onboarding like that's all i would hear about was hiring right and you still hear a lot of that just because the it's like series b heads of sales we speak to a lot but but now it's sales efficiency it's like hey we have this team we really want to drive them to quota and beyond we're still hiring but we're not hiring at 3x the head count like that these things have modified slightly become more sane probably it would be the word you know in hyper growth SaaS. But what kind of things might they want to consider doing? Is it just all about their digital connection with the customer, like revamping the website, things like that? Or, uh, you know, if there's a practical tip. From the brand itself or from the salesperson? Well, you know what? Let's do it from the salesperson. Harder, but like, let's put whatever is in their control. That'd probably be helpful. Like, because we could go on for years about the brands, what they need to be doing right now. But honestly, salespeople right now, you notice, right? First off, notice the brands large and small are doing layoffs. Let's just call this out. It needs to be get out there. Like brands large and small. There's no hiding that fact. I don't think though that is indicative of SaaS declining or that SaaS is going away or that we're in this major hurt. The reality is that during COVID, we were in a booming market where we were, and we were also simultaneously hiring crazy, right? Like it, it was... Let me rephrase that because it's not exactly true. At the beginning of COVID, there was somewhat of a booming market, okay? The market took some hits once COVID got started, got underway, right? Like we saw that, but still people were over-indexing and hiring. They were reinforcing. VC was high. There was a lot of investment happening. And so when you, what you saw was a lot of higher, a lot of higher, a lot of higher. You saw a lot of teams grow. So what we're seeing right now, right, is pe people making sure they're tightening their belts and they're just making sure that they're able to succeed long-term. So salespeople, if you want to be successful in this market, the one thing you can do is realize that you're an owner of your day and you're an owner of your domain, okay? And I'll go a step further. You also need to be an owner of your own business. And so what I mean by on a surface level is you cannot be, you cannot be successful right now in this market if your ego is attached to the brand that you work for, okay? You need to be attached to your own brand. And what I mean by that is you need to be intact and in check with yourself as CEO of Pete.com. Whatever your name is.com, you need to be the CEO of it. And yeah. that should help direct you is that every day when you wake up, in order for Pete.com to be super successful, to be knocking it out of the park, what is it that Pete.com needs to do as a business to execute? Okay, mm -hmm. so like reframes the mind out the gate. Second thing is ownership, right? So... Okay, so if you're going to be CEO of your own brand, what kind of owner do you want to be? Do you want to be a passive owner, right? The company just kinds of exists and I think it'll work out. Or do you want to be an aggressive, mindful, tactical owner? Someone that's coming in every day 
with a laundry list of items that need to, they need to get done and holds themselves to a certain standard of excellence and performance. Now, the best business owners I've ever met hold themselves to that standard. The best salespeople I've ever met hold themselves to that standard. And so I, I think that's a really big thing. And it goes to the step further of, I've never met a business owner that checked out at 5 p.m., right? Like, I've never met a business owner, so at least a successful one. I've been working business owners, both small mom and pop shops up to, you know, large scale SaaS CEOs. I've been working with business owners since, I don't know, for 15 years. I have never met a business owner. It was like five o'clock. That's the bill. See you tomorrow, folks. It doesn't work that way. You need to be mindfully obsessed about your craft and mindfully obsessed about how to get better and mindfully obsessed about the work that you're putting in every single day to execute. That's it. Barnum. Myself needs to hear that own advice, right? Like I need to hear it every now and then. We're not all perfect. You shouldn't wake up every day being like, well, that wasn't me today. Okay. Well, it'd be every single day you wake up is another choice, right? You made the first hardest choice, which is to get out of bed. The second hardest choice is to understand what you're going to do that day. Dude, that's what are you cool. going to accomplish? So I was, I was hitting the th first three was like day domain and, uh, and ownership, ownership. Yeah. business, your business essentially. Yeah. yeah. So that, that totally love, love, I love anything that comes in threes and that separates them out. But th that other phrase that you said would rolled it all together. And it could be a little bit of like, if you know what you're needing to do, if those day domain and business pieces are already inside of you and it's just like that little kick in the pants, it was mindfully obsessed. Mindfully obsessed is a, that's a good, cause it kind of gives the duality of it. Like, yeah, don't go blindly, but like do go. <laughs> be mindful, right? Mindfully obsessed is the right way. I think it's the right mantra anyway. And anyway, I, I come up with a few, but that's at least one that makes sense to me. Makes sense to you. That's cool. No, that's cool. That kind of hits that second thing. So let, I'm going to roll straight on over. I, you mentioned AT&T, so maybe yeah. we can like go through that, but you're VP sales at Saster yeah. now. We'll hear about Saster in a second. I'd like to know a little bit more about it because it's a different, it's a community, a little different than just like hyper growth SaaS startup, you know, most people are aware of, but we can back into it. But what about you? What like personal and professional experiences kind of bring you into the VP sales role and especially at a company like Saster? I think it's a lot of dumb luck, right? I mean, honestly, I mean, think luck is based in work, but still it's dumb luck. Hey, uh, I got my start in TNT advertising solutions, selling yellow pages, advertising and Google ads to local business owners and did it as a way to actually fund the career that I thought I wanted at the time. So I was an opera singer, was trying to make it and had made it, but it was a thing where you just ran out of money. And so I, I was like, all right, what can I do to make money? Like my degrees are in music. I'm not going to go be a music teacher right now. That's too, mm -hmm. it's too time consuming to do that and try to be a singer. And so I was like, oh, I, I could sell stuff. I'll just go talk to people. It's fine. And so that was how I got into it. Uh -huh. into my career. I spent five years with AT&T. I spent, after that, I went to Yext for a little while before they went public. And then after they went public, and it was my first realm at like taking a SaaS product and building a team behind it in sales development. And I spent a lot of my career in outbound sales and building up an idea and understanding of process and hiring and what works, what doesn't work, different frameworks for different demographics and kind of refined this over time. And, and so after Yext went to eMarketer for a little bit before their merger with Business Insights and then was at Aircall for a little while 
We built their outbound program. And then I, right after air call, I took a few minutes, a few months to kind of regroup myself and decide what I wanted to do next. And a friend of mine introduced me to Jason Lemkin, who's our CEO and founder at Saster. And Jason took a chance on me as a stretch VP of sales. And it's been, it's been honestly the, one of the most rewarding parts of my career. Very cool. So there's a couple of cool things in there. Like my, my cousin does leads a team in cybersecurity for AT&T now. And so I've like watched her over 20 years and like, kind of like the training that they receive. Like if you're hyper growth or like SAS or, I mean, startup minded, like you, you might not stay there. Like you did not stay there, but the foundational programs that they put you through, the fact that you could rattle off those statistics. I'm like, I didn't hear those statistics when I started. You know, they're just like, I don't know. We don't know. Why don't you call people and ask them about those statistics? You know, like when you're hitting the phones for SAS. Yeah. And then you mentioned Yext as well. And I only mentioned that because there's an un unusually high number of people who have literally been on this show that have a background at Yext. Oh, that's interesting. Like, yeah. It's like we've got a little mafia happening here. So, and then I see that former founder like putting out a new thing mm-hmm. now. And I'm just like, yep, you're going to do it again. So there's something there. There's a culture that brews that kind of seems to spin off these next generation of leaders, which is cool. Cool to see. Startup culture is a very unique thing, right? I remember being at AT&T and really wanted to get in software. I met all these kids. I was working in New York City in Manhattan. I would meet all these people my age and they're like, I work for this company or that company. It was like everything ended in LY. I was like, you oh. Know, Apple yeah. Lee, John Lee, you know, like it was like every, all these companies with LY. I never understood. I was like, why is it all LY? But I, I was enamored, you know, and I would talk to people. Well, what do you do for them? How did you get into it? No one ever really had a story that was like earth shattering to get into SaaS. And yeah, I wanted to get into it, you know, and they're like, it was like, how are you doing it? And like, I'm trying to interview, I'm not getting interviews. And I remember making that transition and Yext was a really natural one because it was helping local businesses. And so it was like, it was already working with local businesses at AT&T. That transition wound up being a real natural step into SaaS. And it was, uh, it worked out in that way. But yeah, it's really interesting. Like when you first look at SaaS, that startup mentality is something that uh, I didn't, when I first got into SaaS, right? I didn't know you needed it. I think it's, where some of the grindiest mofos out there, right? Like there's just, you really have to dig in. There's no way to be successful in a startup without digging in. You're working with brands that no one knows who you are. You're working right. with, that for the most part, don't, you know, in some cases don't even exist yet. In some cases they do and you're a competitor. But in some cases they don't. You're a category creator and that's crazy. That's yeah. crazy you're to tell the story of why they care, you know, like that's, so there's a lot there that's very interesting and it takes a, a certain amount of, pre- a certain type of person to work. You mentioned the, the years thing of like time on title. And what I think is very interesting is that these days I go on LinkedIn, I, I do a lot of recruiting and a lot of interviewing, but these days I go on re- LinkedIn and, and you see someone's career trajectory. It's so far less common now, the timestamp of, you know, over three years. Like I, I've just... A year and a half is what I'm seeing company to company to company. And I have a whole theory there of why this is awful, but I also like understand why it's happening. Right. But I have a whole enormous theory there of why that's awful. Yeah. Uh, And, and, you know, in, in a way, I think 
as workers who had digress, but I think in a way as workers, we're, we're getting away from some of the things that have worked traditionally over the years really well and that have helped some of the most successful companies in the Fortune 500 be successful. Yeah, that average tenure, like, I, you know, it lo- at first it looked like it was just a, a sales thing and you can kind of understand like you're in a ramp year, okay, and then you made it or you didn't or something. You understand right. a little bit more about the company and then whether it's a push or a pull and halfway through that next year or somewhere along the lines, it kind of seems to dissipate. See, yeah, a year and seven months. Yeah, you think months. it's a sales thing, but it's not. I mean, I'm seeing, I see it in, in engineering. I see it in marketing. I see it. It's like it's whether someone got bored or they decided to make a change. It seems to be a start thing, if anything, that, you know, you're going to spend X amount of time before you transition. I think the average tenure of a VP of sales in SaaS was 18 months or something. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Like, you haven't even warmed up before you're out. And I so, I, but I truly think that like, you know, my father's been at his company over 30 years and, uh, you know, and I can't imagine he's always done the best work and I can't imagine he's always done the worst work, right? Like there's going to be ebb and flows here, ebb and flow years, right? But the one thing about that company that he works for out here on Long Island is the people that they have, they value them and they do what they can to retain their people so that they don't go elsewhere because they need their teams in order to be successful as a company. And for them, and I met their founders a couple of times through my, you know, upbringing and growing up. It was a, they, the founders came to my grandfather's funeral. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, like let's go first there. Right. And I'm like, and I went up to him, like, you know, thank you so much for being here. And they're like, are you kidding? You guys are family. And that's, where's that? What's the power in that? That's tremendous. I mean, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm not even, I'm re- removed from it. I can't even imagine what my father felt. Right. And that's, that I think is super powerful and it helps me shape my frame of mind about that brand even when I talk about it now. Right. I remember the founder of that company calling my, the original owner and founder of that company calling my dad on weekends back when I was a kid and my dad getting so frustrated about something. And I, I have this memory in my head, but at the same time, I know my dad wouldn't take back the time. Yeah. Um, and so. Dude, those are, yeah, those are different. That's a highly contrasted to like fast SaaS and then remote and then this transition where you yeah. never maybe even saw somebody or so much as shook their hand. I'm in a location now that is very much, that is very much different as in, as in like, it's just, it's an hour north of Charleston. And so a lot of the people who are working nearby are actually working in a kind of like a, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a lot of like building and construction and things like that. And that's the mentality behind it. When I tell them what I do, they're like, where do you go? I'm like, to my, to, to a guest bedroom on it or like yeah. an office, like, you know, so it's a, a different thing altogether. Yeah. I mean, you know, I go off to Dunkin' every day. I'm a Dunkin' drinker. This episode has been brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I'm a Dunkin' drinker. And every day I go up there and, you know, they know me by name because I'm there every day and they're like, Hey Brian. And I'm in there and like, you know, this is a type of sweatshirt, but wear a hat and a sweatshirt to work. Like, this is what I wear to work. There's nowhere else that really works, right? Like, I've met a lot of people that still have to get dressed up every day, go to work. I mean, you know, I don't know. We've redefined work culture a little bit here. But it's anyway, it, I, we're way off topic of what you wanted to talk about today. But this is, it's interesting. But uh, Podcast Pete has met, has met Rabbit Hole Brian, and we're having a good time now. Rabbit <laughs> Hole Yes, exactly. Yeah, Rambler. The Rambler, they call me. So, so like everybody, not everybody, but my audience will 
will know Saster, but like, would you tell us a little bit about Saster? And then like, I mean, maybe the Genesis where it is today, because this is a mass, massive world's largest, as I understand it, for SAS founders and, and execs and things like that. So yeah, what are you guys doing now? You just got back from London. Just tell us a little bit about Saster. It'd be great. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think you nailed it on the head. We're the largest community in the world for B2B tech execs and entrepreneurs and founders. And and we're founded by Jason Lemkin, who, if you don't know Jason, first off, go follow him. His content is unbelievable. But Jason was the founder of EchoSign, which Adobe then acquired and became Adobe Sign. He's been a multi-founder. He's done this several times. And he's also the founder of Saster Fund, which has invested in 28 different startups that have been successful. And so, you know, Jason's whole story here is about helping the founder. He started Saster at a time when no one was helping the founder, right? He wished he had the advice as a founder at Adobe, at EchoSign before Adobe. He wished he had the advice, right? And it wasn't there. But now Jason is that, that generator for founders and execs and helps facilitate a network of the best and un most like hottest, unbelievable tech execs and entrepreneurs in the business come together and share best practices for SaaS founders to be successful in scaling their business from zero to a hundred million dollars. And I think that's, it's an incredible mission. It's, uh, I'm sure it, it can be a thankless mission at times, but ultimately I, it's, you should see the community. It's the amount of content, the amount of people that reach out with just sheer admiration and thanks to Jason for the work that he does and for the team. It's unbelievable. Yeah. In, in between that, right. I think our largest vessels for creation of new content, as well as getting our content out there and also networking within our community are our events. And we've had a, a long tradition of building really, really top, top of the line events. Our biggest every year is Saster Annual. It happens in the San, in the San Francisco Bay Area in San Mateo. And it's kind of like a SAS festival, if you will. Take a music festival, sprinkle in the SAS nerds, mix them up really well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so that's in September 6th through the 8th. And then our second largest show is Saster Europa. Saster Europa. You're right. I was just in London taking a look at the venue, but it'll be in London this year, June 6th and 7th. And so that's just going to be an incredible show. You know, it's, we find that we have so many different countries that come to that show. It's really amazing to see the reach, right? For the first time this year, we're also going to do Saster APAC and we're doing it in February in Singapore. And that's Singapore. really exciting. So, so we're, we'll be out there for about a day and a half of incredible content and networking and meeting our community out there. And so, you know, we're, we're reaching. So my team, we're responsible for talking to different businesses that are looking to represent those. Okay. And then on, on top of that, I'll go a step further. Just you asked the question. Saster has been a long-term, a long-time creator of content, as I said. And we have different vessels that get that content out there. So our podcasts, our newsletters, they're super, super popular. We generate somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 million impressions every month through our different mm -hmm. streams, which is pretty amazing. And so we have a lot of different avenues by which we help companies get in front of community. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. So like you, you do interact with a ton of, I mean, the space between zero and a hundred million, there's a lot of technology oh, yeah. happening right there. So. In general, like when I, cause, cause Saster itself, it has this idea of virality. Like you have this like community, one person tells another long before I really knew what Saster was, I was getting like these LinkedIn, you know, like the little 
a little ping, a little, or sometimes through a text thread of some former buddies of mine from like my first SaaS organization that we still, because we were in an office together, we're all still big buddies, you know, like imagine that. And then, and then it would just be like this little, hey, here's this, here's that from Saster. So like, I know it can spread like that. So the companies you see, like what's the context for hyper growth behind it? Like, why is it that a SaaS company might just like, just absolutely blow up? Like when you see what's happening, you know, why is it that they would get more popular than another thing? There's a lot of reasons, right? I think it's a hard question to answer ultimately because there's probably, there's a lot of companies that have that virality, but there's also a lot of companies that are extremely viable that can do really well and then don't have that success. And so I don't necessarily know outside of execution, right? Some teams are really good at execution. Some teams understand, you know, when they can exploit a gap, right? And how to really take advantage of that within their product. But then additionally, getting the right first few hires in place to take that message and bring it to the masses. And that it's a, it's a really interesting piece. And second piece to that is like making sure that you have the right partners along the way. You know, if you're going to bootstrap it, that's a decision. And how are you going to scale as a bootstrap company? How is that going to be different from VC? If you're going to take VC money, who do you want to take money from? And if you're going to take money, how are you going to stack the cards in your, because, you know, you couldn't, and <laughs> could really hurt you but it's a hard question to answer because ultimately you see it firsthand there are a lot of different businesses and companies out there that have truly endless possibility for success and even some that take massive amounts of money and but they either implode or they, they, things don't work out and so you know it, it's a little bit of a gamble when you're working in SaaS. okay i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't say that there's one way Look, like a venture capitalist, someone that's doing this every day and analyzing businesses and understanding what they're doing is going to have a more refined answer for them, right? Well, I think even they would say at some element, there's a little bit of guesswork. Completely. And so many, many variables, so many different things that can kind of happen. Look at FTX. Look at FTX. It's a perfect (laughs) example, right? You like you laugh, but like someone lost $200 million on that, like in an investment, right? It's a large investment to lose. And it's a company that just imploded. It just imploded, right? And like, so there's, you take bets. There are bets in this business and that's a thing. And we don't always get it right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Then so I got something on the other side. So first of all, maybe for context, if, and if people check out your LinkedIn profile, Father Four, you have this, you already mentioned like professional opera singer, which these, these are starting to check people's boxes of like, oh, unique. Volunteer firefighter. And yeah, then yeah. your fire. And then don't do this. You're going to make a lot of people feel weird. Oh, oh, like, what are you doing with your Saturdays? Basically? Like, yeah. So like, but then one of them was real estate enthusiasts. So I have a question for you because I find a lot of people in software and this is just an aside. This is like an anecdotal, like I've looked at a lot of LinkedIn profiles over the years, mostly as a BDR early days, but like now I can like scan them and just like absorb the information kind of get a sense of like, I know this person, so it's okay if I call them, you know, that I think that's what I'm trying to do for my soul. But, but like the real estate thing, like, and this is just, this is like based on what you just mentioned, is it, there's such a lower return on real estate unless you have these big booms, but is there something about like, I have been in the land of ones and zeros all day, but I can go touch this brick and mortar. 
is there something about that like gives you a yin to the yang or anything like that? Or is there something about real estate that you like? And do you think it's a contrast to what you experience in your SaaS day to day? Interesting, interesting question. Interesting question. I mean, I'll put some clarity behind that. Also tell you how I think. I think if you're, I didn't go to school for business. I don't have like the business operations background or anything. My, my experience in sales and building teams, that's my business degree. And in, some would say that it's equivalent to a master's depending on who you're talking to. Right. And some would say that's you're not worth anything. So I don't know. I think my experience in building teams, leading teams, working with businesses, understanding those ones and zeros that you just talked about have helped me understand that like one of the best things I can do for myself is have alternative forms of revenue. Right. And like, like how am I thinking about investments for the future? If you're a salesperson and you're good at your job, you have plenty of capital that you need to think about. How do you invest for your future? Is it just a 401k? Could you do things that are a little bit riskier? Maybe you see a bigger return on, could you be working with a financial planner is going to help you get X returns. One of the things that I've always been interested in. So take a step back after I left Yext, I didn't, I was like a come to Jesus moment with myself. I didn't know if I wanted to be in SAS, to be honest. I knew that like, I knew that I enjoyed my time at Yext very much. And I knew that I was excited for what I was for in my future, but I also like was still young enough where I just didn't know what I wanted to do yet really. And, and so I had to come to Jesus moment. And one of the things that I decided to do was go get my real estate license. Cause a friend of mine told me to do it. So I went and did it right. It was like, okay. I can understand. I think real estate's interesting. And, you know, and Grant Cardone's ads just started popping up. Like, rich in real estate. I'm like, I don't know, man, whatever, you know? And so I went and I went and just, you know, dialed into trying to figure out if it was something I wanted to do. What I found is that I love real estate. I think it's very interesting. At the time, it was a great market to get in and start making some investments. Right now, maybe not the best market to it was the right time then to make some investments. I think what I found is it's just a way for me to reinvest in myself. And I've made some key investments that are both property-based and business-based that are about like, you know, what's the long-term return and how does real estate play into that? And I think ultimately the goal there is I call myself an enthusiast because I just have enthusiasm for it. It's like I'm spending any part of my nine to five to Right, 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 right. Okay. I just see it a lot and I see it like posted about a lot. I'm just like the former post was about like some kind of like, I don't know, product led growth, you know, like the monthly active users. And the next one's about like, Hey, did you know the interest rates are dropping? Now would be a great time to, by the way, that's not a recent post I've seen, but uh, I mean, I see it in software a lot. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it just, I think any posting that you, you're going to do needs to be relevant. So at least when I try to write or I am writing, it's top of mind. What's on my head? Well, that's it. There's nothing. I used to post every day or every other day and I had like a regiment of it and it became very tiring. And so when you're trying to be successful with things, you have to let certain habits go. But I still, whenever I post, it's very tiring. I think the most important post right now is the one I put up. And as an example, right? I put up a post that said, hey, who's hiring, right? We've seen a lot of layoffs. Who's hiring? And at where we see there's hundreds of comments on there, which is awesome of people that are hiring. And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking about what do I want to do next, it's a, you can go find me on LinkedIn post has a lot of different job postings and a lot of people don't want to help. Yeah, that's good. That's good because all you do hear about is 
the rough yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's also a really good point to say, yeah, people are going through some downsizing, but at the same time, here's all the companies that aren't. Here's all the companies that are reinvesting in growth. And so there's still, for every company that's downsizing, there's another two, it looks like, that are reinvesting, so... Well, it's like, I don't really watch, I'm not much of a news watcher unless it, because somebody will tell me about the news that's actually pertinent. Like I, that's a good way to like keep in like common lockstep with somebody, like just a personal relationship. They'll tell me, and then I'm actually interested because I don't know. But my whole thing is just like, cause nobody told me about like, nobody told me when I like commuted to the office and I made it alive. It was just like the one wreck on there that that's what you see on the news. So we are seeing a little bit of that, but it is a, a, an idea for maybe like sales leaders to, to pivot some of the message to make sure that it's not just the bleeding edge of like, you know, reckless growth, like that you're putting your product around. Sometimes it's around maybe some of the sales efficiency pieces or that seems smart anyway. That seems like you could get mindfully obsessed around that topic and go make your 300 dials. I mean, there, there are a few of those, but yes, I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. So you've had a, cool journey to get to where you are. And as most like SAS journeys, like it has not been, you did not like go to school, like from the age of six, he was trained as a, you know, like this wasn't necessarily the case. No, my intro to sales training was being a Cub Scout and going door to door, selling candy bars with my right. mom in the car, driving along the road as I'm knocking on the door. Hi, would you like to buy a candy bar? No. <laughs> and that was me, man. Like I, I figured I saw, I always won the award for most candy bars sold and, uh, and I would be out there for hours. I'd wake up with mom, let's go buy, let's go sell more candy. The school, remember we had this raise money for a senior trip. Again, it was like, let's go sell candy bars. I was out there. I, I, my older brother, okay, benefited off this because he didn't want to sell any candy bars and he wanted to do a senior trip. So he hired me to sell his candy bars. And so I sold his candy bars and so he could go on a senior trip. So I'm not sure I got the, the benefit of that deal. But regardless, like at the time, it just was easy for me. I didn't mind it. And I think that's what I applied early on. And I was like, man, I could be a salesperson was I knew that there's probably something wrong with me where I really don't care about going up to a stranger and talking to them about any random old thing. And I, I, there's no mechanism in me that says that's not normal. Okay. <laughs> Dude. So yeah. So somebody else will create the product and you will take it door to door. Like yeah, brother, CEO, CEO, the CRO. I, that's, it's, you know, for me, it's like, I probably will never be a product founder coding you know, at some point. If I want to be a founder, I'll go sell it. Like, let's go, I'll take it to the market. It's the, that's the thing. It's just, I, I, um, I think that, you know, if you, have, if you're listening to this, you're thinking about getting a career going, that's somewhat in sales. You want to continue, you're wondering if you should continue your career in sales. Just ask yourself if you like people. Ask yourself if you like to talk to people, if you like to, you could talk about anything, you know? I mean, if you just like build relationships, we focus so much on selling product, value of the product, how to sell the product. None of that really matters, right? Can you build a relationship authentically with other people? Can you? Yeah. If you can, great, because you're going to sell to the same people over and over and over and over again, your entire career. Take a bite out of that and chew on it for a while, right? Like that's, if you identify that you're going to sell to the same people over and over again, your whole career. How does that reframe the way in which you approach this job? Maybe you're not using arms to make sales. Yeah. A little more honey, less vinegar. That's a little it. more stay in one position for a while. Before we get started here, you're talking to me a little bit about consultative sales. There's a transition that's happening. There's a transition. It's that you need to be able to build relationships. That's it. You know, even SMB, like SMBs, like the SMB sales, you know, the transactional I'm on the phone with them, have this product, $100 a month. I'm going to sell it right now. Like that sale, 
probably still have as much relationship build. They still need to trust you, right? Mm -hmm. They still have to establish some sort of trust on that call. So there's still some relationship that needs to be built there. But those small SMBs aren't SMBs forever. And some of them grow big. And so when they grow big, how did you first jumpstart that relationship? Yeah, it's a good point. It is. Okay, this will be interesting because SAS is in the name of Saster as well. You are a VP sales. So a lot of times speak to VP sales, but the name of this podcast is SAS Ramp Podcast. I'm in an enablement, sales enablement. So that means something specific to me, but it seems to mean something different to every particular role. So you, VP sales at Saster, what does SAS Ramp mean to you? No what wrong is, answer, by the way. What does SAS Ramp mean to me? Your brand. What does your brand mean to me? Just that first, first hearing it. Is that the question? Just That's verify. Question. Gut instinct for, yeah, for you and your particular location. The SAS Ramp podcast, I would listen to this if I was trying to figure out how to ramp a team, grow, grow revenue, or understand how to grow my career. That's kind of how I hear it. I'm in SAS. I want to ramp. I'm ramping up. What do I need? Dude, okay. So we went career. We went, we went ramp as far as like maybe like day one to deal one kind of thing. And then, and then overall revenue. Yeah, listen, I'd say that's kind of like the three buckets we often hear, and you gave them all three at once. So you've got the yeah. ma- you've got the magic in the threes. We got the we've got the control your day, control your domain, your business. We've got the SAS ramp means this, dude. This is magical right here. I speak in threes, so it's a it's a habit. Dude, that is a, it is a good habit to have. There's something magical about it. Well, I, I a lot of study on it. Dude, yeah, I don't know what that is, but it's just it's so helpful for an audience. Maybe it's because you're going to jump on a. London and Singapore and have a little something to say and you want everybody in all the various languages to kind of pick up on it and remember it. There is actually a large study behind threes here. I'll leave you with this because I think it's important, but there's, it's a good for all the salespeople on it that are listening to this too. There's a, a study on the power of three and how as humans, we, when we listen, we hear things in threes different than we hear other numbers. So if it's four or five, it's too many. We won't remember them all. If it's one or two, it's not impactful enough. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna resonate with it. But when there's three, three of something, for whatever reason, that sounds lockstep. And delivery is always important too. But if you can have three moments, three things, three pieces, you know, I just did it right there in three different beats. Like that's a that is a, a powerful moment to to that helps people resonate with what you're trying to say. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, intuitively that felt like it, but like if there's, dude, I love it when there's science behind it too. And like when there's two combined. Who knows? It's a weird thing, but it's interesting. So we'll throw it in there in the show notes and everything. Like if people want to get in touch with you, obviously you're on LinkedIn, saw your stuff from yesterday, used to post daily and things like that. Anywhere else that people want to contact you, get in touch with SAS? Best place to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn. I even though I'm not posting every day, I'm on it every day. And so I'm in there, you message me, you can ping me, you can connect with me. I'm more than happy to help. And I think, look, like, here's the big thing, okay? As salespeople, as sales professionals, the best thing we can do right now for our profession is act more as like community members. We need to help each other. We need to be on call for each other and support each other. And if we're, if we're, if we are doing that, then we can all navigate whatever waters are in front of us micro macroeconomically or not and we can all grow and i think that's really important to understand we're a community and we've all been there so you know we all want to help that's the thing that's awesome yeah great message thanks brian really impactful 
man of many talents. We'll do another podcast on all the adjacent talents and where you could spend your nights and weekends as well, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> For now, Grace Ass Podcast. <laughs> hey, thank you very much, Pete. Great to chat with you. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you.